God is good, isn't he? Um, I have a couple of things to share with you before we get digging in a little bit. Um, the last weekend of the month, we're going to be having baptisms. And so, those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ but have yet to follow through in baptism, then I want to invite you to come to a class next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock here at the church building. If you can't make it but still desire to be baptized, then I invite you to call the church office and we'll get an appointment. We'll, we'll come meet for some coffee or Coke or whatever, and, and then we'll sit and talk a little bit. Uh, because there's nothing like uh, someone declaring their allegiance to their king, you know? There's nothing like it. And so that's what we'll be doing uh, in our baptisms. The second thing I share with you, this is really crazy, but, I mean, Thanksgiving's here, Christmas is around the corner, um, and, and so we are going to get this place all fixed up for Christmas. What we've done in the past, which has really been kind of crazy, it's almost like beating your head against a wall, but the staff has put everything up, and a couple volunteers have come and helped out, and uh, it's crazy, and especially with a, a wonderful family of people. And so what we're going to do different this year is on Wednesday, December the 3rd, we're going to ask for 30 people who would come and help us get the trees up, help us get them decorated, help us get everything ready. And that way you all can enjoy the craziness too with us. And, and so we'll do it that evening at 6 o'clock. And if you can help, there's a table out there. Well, it's, it's where they're selling the tickets for the movie and the Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, excuse me, actually, it's over on the Angel Tree table. You can sign up there and help us out. That would be wonderful. We'd greatly appreciate that. And if it's only men that sign up, then ladies, you get what you get, okay? Um, last but not least, the Angel Tree table. We are ministering to a number of families who have a father or a mother who is incarcerated in the prison system and, and people from our area. And so what we do, as, as many of you know, is we encourage you to take an angel to buy gifts to be able to present to them really in the name of Jesus. A wonderful opportunity that we have to just share the gospel and advance the kingdom just a little bit. So I, I want to invite you to swing by the table today. All right. Now, I, I want to thank you, um, and, and thank you is such a crazy small word to express uh, my family's thanks to you all uh, for the love that you have uh, expressed and continue to express to us. Um, it's, uh, well, this is a lousy time of year, and those of you who have walked through this know this. Uh, there's a lot of firsts that just come real quick, and but it's what it is, and, and we're not the first people to ever walk through it, and we won't be the last people to walk through it. But I want to thank you so much for your, your kindness. I, I thank you for how you have showered the love of Jesus to us. I thank you for, this just blows my mind, but when we were at uh, William McKinley's and we were preparing uh, all the things you have to prepare for for a funeral, and we were writing the obituary, and it was just, it was just going to be simple. I mean, but we got to the part where uh, we didn't want everybody sending flowers. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of funerals. I've, I've walked a lot of people through this, and I've seen money spent on flowers that could have paid for the funerals. And, and so it just, it, 
in my mind, didn't make sense. And so we just said, if you want to make a contribution in Bev's memory, you could do it, and we would put it towards building the baby rescue mission in Uganda. And you know, as I'm standing here this morning, right now over $10,000 has come in. I mean, that's just unbelievable to me. And, um, and, and I, I just, I, I thank you for that because, because this, is, this isn't about the past. It's about God's work now and in the future. And so that, those, kind, those kind gifts will, will bless a lot of people and in, in, uh, probably people we will never meet but they'll be blessed as a result, and that's a good thing, and the kingdom of God will be advanced, and that's a good thing because that's what it's all about. Um, and then the, the last thing I'll share with you regarding this is uh, I've, I've been doing a lot of writing, and, and a lot of you have read it, and it's, it's good medicine for me to be sure. Um, but I was, I don't know, five, six years ago, I remember listening to a radio broadcast of a uh, black pastor who was standing before his congregation and informing his congregation that he had cancer. He'd just been diagnosed with it. And so he stood before the congregation, and what I heard on the radio was absolutely amazing. He simply said this. After informing them he had cancer, he said, Now, I have taught you all of my life that I've been here. I'm your pastor. I've been your teacher. And I've taught you what it means to trust Jesus and to follow Jesus. And then he said, I'm not done teaching you. Because with this cancer, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to teach you how to live with it or how to die with it. And you know, when I heard that, I thought, God, God, that is so amazing that you could use this man in, in such a difficult time of his life. And I... And I got to thinking, you know what? As uh, I refer to Paul Atkins, the great theologian, who said, none of us are getting out alive. You know, we're not. And we're all going to walk through death one day. We are going to do it. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. And so I've just sort of determined that I'm going to teach you how to walk through it. And I've had people teaching me how to walk through it, people who have walked this path. And I value your role model to me because I look at you and I go, I can make this. Through the grace of God, I can make this, and I know I will. Because I want you to understand this, and then we're going to press on. Death will not have the final word in the life of a believer, okay? It won't. And uh, I have to remind myself of that when things get a little tough, like last night uh, when I went walking in the field a little bit. But I had to remind myself, death, you will not have the final word. I hate your guts, and you're stinging me to no end. But I know you're not going to have the final word, and I know that for you as well. Okay? And that's the best hope that you will ever leave your, your family members. Best hope you'll ever leave. Okay? I'm done. Now, I'd, I'd like for us to have a word of prayer, and then we'll dig in. 
Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we had just to focus our attention on you and, and to worship you as a body of believers. And, and now I pray as we dig deeper into your word that you, you use your word to challenge us to live for you. We give you thanks for how you move and how you work in our lives. We thank you for the times of joy. We thank you for the times of sadness. And we thank you that through it all, we grow and draw closer to you. And so, God, now guide us. Guide my lips as I I share this passage of Scripture with the folks. Open our hearts to hear you speak to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, to introduce the topic as we talk about spending less, I'm sorry, I'm going to a place you don't want me to go right now, but I'm going to your purse or your, or your back pocket. You know, that's where we're heading. So watch this video with me, and then we'll dig in. My father wrote about this in his book, chapter one, page one, paragraph one. What is the answer to 99 out of 100 questions? money. It's not over yet. It is for me, sister. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution, man. I'm not in it for you, princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. Why didn't you just come after me? No, this is about me. This is about my money. This is about money due me, which I will collect. $3.7 million. And now, folks, it's time for who do you trust? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Well, how much are you going to invest? 5000 10 10000 5000 You needn't worry about your reward. Money is all that you love, and that's what you'll receive. For some folks, money is a foreign film without subtitles. (laughs) (laughs) And you're completely obsessed with treasure. Me? I'm giving away free money. Friend, some of your folding money has come unstowed. It's my nest egg, Jack. At my age, you gotta think ahead. Absolutely not. I'm a businessman. I love money, I love power, I love capitalism. I do not now and never will love children. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Now! Offer me money. Yes. Power to promise me that. All that I have and more. Please. Look, man, all these jokers have got a lot of money and it belongs to me. I want to know who they are and what they're doing with it. I'm sorry about that, man. I really am. Money does bad things to people. There ain't no excuse for it. Money. 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 I'm going to say money. Money. So, last Tuesday I went out to my mailbox, not this past, but a week ago, and I, there were a couple catalogs in the mail. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to save all the catalogs I get in the mail until I preach on this topic. So this is what's come into my mailbox. Now, I, if this has come into mine, I don't know how much has come into yours, but every one of these things want me to buy something. 
Every one of these things tell me that, my, well, here on the front cover is this cute little dog tucked away in some kind of bed. My dog would eat that bed. Uh, it would eat that dog, actually. Uh, all these things that I need so that I can be fulfilled, so that I can be satisfied. And even if I don't need it, it's going to somehow convince me that I do need it. And, and you know what I'm talking about. Your mailboxes are, are filled as well. All of this stuff. And if, you're, if your physical mailboxes aren't filled, your computer mailbox is filled with all of this stuff that you need because Christmas is coming. And if you don't need it, surely you know someone who does need it. And so, here's what I want to do. I want us today, as we continue in this series that we're doing called Kingdom Conspiracy... I want us to look at what the Bible has to say about money, because here's where I'm going. Last week, Dave opened the series, which, by the way, I think Dave did just an outstanding job last week, and he opened the series by teaching us that we are, don't clap for him, um, that <laughs> he, he taught us that we are to begin as we enter into this season that we call Christmas, that we should enter into it with a heart filled with worship that we learn to fully worship God, not just 20 minutes on a weekend, but actually 24-7 with our lives. Because you're with me on this. You understand Christmas is crazy out of hand. It's, it's completely out of hand. And we all agree with that, but yet we all still buy into it. And so, so what we're working on, what I want to set before the congregation of Christ community is to just challenge you to simplify just a little bit. I'm not asking you to just run to a monastery and never do anything. I'm asking you just one small step because what we need to do, what I want us to do, is to return to the simplicity of that night when the King of Kings was born, when, when the reality of all that had been spoken of in the Old Testament had been fulfilled that God came to earth in the form of Jesus to be born here so that he could die for us. That's what I want us to get back to. And, and I know we're swimming upstream big time, but we start right here. And so that's, that's why we're doing this, this series, Kingdom Conspiracy. So what does the Bible have to say about money? Actually, the Bible has a lot to say about money. I'm just going to hit four things real fast, and then we're going to move on into the meat of where I want to go today. The first thing, and you see this in your outline if you take out your, your bulletin sermon notes. The first thing is this. Having money isn't wrong. Okay? Having money isn't wrong. That's not the issue in Scripture. Look at what the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, says. He's referring to wisdom here, but wisdom that comes from God. And he writes to his son and says, I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. So God is saying through Solomon that he's the one who bestows wealth. He's the one who makes treasuries full. So, so if he's the one that does that, then having money in and of itself isn't wrong. Second thing, you are not the reason that you have money. Now, this is, may rub you a little wrong here. I want you to grab this. You are not the reason that you have money. 
Look at what Moses writes in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. And so you may say, wait, Rick, I don't even like that. I'm the one that puts in the hours. I'm the one that invested the capital to get the business started. I'm the guy who is doing it. I'm, I'm the guy who's dead tired at night because I'm taking care of business so that I can have money. Well, you know, that's cool, except for this. Who gave you the ability? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the wisdom? Who gave you that capacity? And God says, I'm the one that gave it to you. So you're not the reason that you have money. If you have money, you're not the reason. God's the reason. Third thing, you're not to cater to people who have money. You're not to cater to people who have money. You go over to James chapter 2 and look at verses 1 to 4. And James writes, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And how tempting is this to cater to people who have stuff, who have money. It's a temptation that we all have. People who have power, people who are in positions of influence, we, we cater to that. And yet, in, inside the body of Christ, that's not to happen. We're not to cater to people who have money. And then the fourth thing is this. Money is a poor substitute for God. Money is a poor substitute for God. And look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and young Timothy, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The uncertainty of money. And if you put your hope and your faith and your confidence in what you have what you can hold in your hand, if you, if you put it in, in this stuff, this stuff is going to disappoint because it cannot bear under the weight of keeping you happy. It can't. Okay, so as you stay in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, here's what I want to do. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 and... And we're going to get a little, more, a little more personal as we deal with this issue of the money that we have and the stuff that we have and how it ties into this kingdom conspiracy. Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses uh, 6 through 10. Now, based on that, the, that passage of Scripture, I, I want to give this to you. This is where I want to land today. and this is, this is what I want you to consider. And the first thing is this, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, you need to write that down. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And when I'm reading that, I'm wondering, why does Paul take the time to equate godliness and contentment? And I think, I really think I I understand this. You see, if, if your desire, if your desire is to follow God with all that you have, and you place your trust in Him, He becomes your foundation, then you can be content knowing that your foundation, who is God, never fails. He will never, ever fail you no matter what situation you find yourself in. But anything else that you place as your foundation other than God will ultimately fail. And in this case, if you place money as your foundation... Then and and you are you're playing the stock market and your your whole future life that you have laid out for yourself is all determined by how your earnings go down or go up actually, um, how your how your earnings increase and how the market plays out. Wow, you're basing your life on something really shaky, and. And we know people who have done this in the past. We've read about the people who, when the, when the market crashed in, what was it, the 30s, 40s, whenever it was, was, jumping out of windows. Well, they should jump out of windows if their foundation was simply money. and their Because the money couldn't carry the burden of being a foundation. It wouldn't be stable. And by the way, while I'm saying that, let me toss this out. The same thing goes, parents, for you with your kids. If your kids are your foundation, if they are your sole purpose for existence, if they are your everything, well, what are you going to do when they're taken away? How, and, 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 boy, do, am I living this now. What if it's your spouse? I mean, my spouse is my rock. They're the one I just rely on. They're my foundation. Well, what are you going to do when God calls your spouse home? You're going to fall apart because you have no foundation that can hold you up unless that foundation is God. And so it makes sense to me that godliness, this pursuit of knowing God, knowing Him, having a relationship with Him, that the, the result of that godliness would be contentment because you know your foundation will not fail. Okay. Now, I, I want to... Let's, let's go to Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, and uh, let's, let's see what Jesus has to say concerning this foundation and, and finances, money, and the whole deal of, commit, of contentment. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. Which one will be your foundation? I'll get into that in just a a little bit. I was reading, and I am working my way through, it's a real easy read called Traveling Light by Max Licato. Now, bear with me here for just a moment because I want to read you a lengthy portion of what he observes and how he writes concerning making our possessions the foundation of our lives. Listen to this, and it'll be on the overhead. You can read along with me. Come with me. Hang on one second because I won't read it without glasses. There we go. Come with me to the most populated prison in the world. The facility has more inmates than bunks, more prisoners than plates, more residents than resources. Come with me to the the world's most oppressive prison. Just ask the inmates and they'll tell you. They are overworked and underfed. Their walls are bare and bunks are hard. No prison is so populated, no prison so oppressive, and what's more, no prison so permanent. Most inmates never leave. They never escape. They never get released. They serve a life sentence in this overcrowded, underprovisioned facility. The name of the prison, you'll see it over the entrance. Rainbowed over the gate are four cast iron letters that spell out its name. W-A-N-T, want. The prison of want. You've seen her prisoners. They're in want. They want something. They want something bigger, nicer, faster, thinner. They want. They don't want much, mind you. They just want one thing, one new job, one new car, one new house, one new spouse. They don't want much. They just want, or they want just one. And when they have one, they will be happy. And they're right. They will be happy. When they have one, they will leave the prison. But then it happens. The new car smell passes. The new job gets old. The neighbors buy a larger television. The new spouse has bad habits. The sizzle fizzles. And before you know it, another ex-con breaks parole and returns to the prison of want. Are you in prison? You are if you feel better when you have more and worse when you have less. You are if joy is one delivery away, one transfer away, one award away, or one makeover away. If your happiness comes with something you deposit, drive, drink, or digest, then face it, you are in prison. The prison of want. That's the bad news. The good news is you have a visitor. And your visitor has a message that can get you paroled. Make your way to the receiving room. Take your seat in the chair and look across the table at the psalmist David. He motions for you to lean forward. I have a secret to tell you, he whispers. The secret of satisfaction. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then this line. David has found the pasture where discontent goes to die. It's as if he is saying... What I have found in God is greater than what I don't have in life. That's a great, great observation on Lucado's part. Okay, second thing. When we go back to 1 Timothy 6, 
Paul then points out not only that godliness with contentment is great gain, but the second thing is you came in with nothing and you're going out empty-handed. You came into the world with nothing, you're going out empty-handed. That's why I tell people when I wear flip-flops up here on the stage and preach, and I say, look, I was born barefoot. Um, And uh, then they say, yeah, but you were born naked too, and we really thank you for wearing clothes. So uh, they got a point there. Um, yeah, you came, you came in with nothing, and you're taking nothing with you. Hearses do not pull U-Hauls. I, I have done a number of funerals. It's been interesting when the casket is, is getting ready to be closed. How, how many times people, the family members, want to put stuff in the casket? I was at one where this, this guy was an avid golfer, and, and they wanted to put his golf clubs, the bag and all, in his casket with him. It wasn't going to fit, so they pulled out a six iron and put the six iron in because it was his favorite club. And I'm thinking, you know, what's he going to do? He's not going to shoot his way out of the grave, you know? It, it's, it's not going to happen. Uh, I've seen people load pictures into the casket. Now, I understand. I understand this. I understand that, that funerals are for the living. It's a way for us to lay people to rest and to have peace of mind. But I've seen, I've seen people load pictures into the casket, all these wonderful memories that they could have with them over the years, but yet they dump them in the casket, and it's like, you know what? The person's not going to be able to look at the pictures. They're not going to be able to enjoy the pictures in the casket. You can't take anything with you. It doesn't matter what you load in the casket. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You came in with nothing. You're going out with nothing. And, and then Job, who recognizes this over in what, Job chapter 1, verse 21, he said, Naked I came, to my mother, came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And here's a guy who lost all of his children. He lost all of his income. He lost everything except for his wife. And his wife said, honey, curse God and die. You know, I mean, that's the best counsel he could get from her because she was so torn up and so broken. You brought nothing in, you're taking nothing out, okay? Third thing, you are responsible to take care of the necessities. You are responsible to take care of the necessities. While we don't want money to be our God, we have a responsibility to make money so that we can provide for the necessities of life. And, and you see this in, in a number of, of passages. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 5.8 where, where Paul writes, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So you have the responsibility to provide for your family. The Scripture says that. And then over in 2 Thessalonians, Paul instructing the church there in chapter 3, verse 10 says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he won't eat. So there there are responsibilities that we have as followers of Jesus to provide for the necessities of life and provide for our families. And shame on us if we know that, and yet we have determined that, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're going to let someone else take care of us. Because the Scripture says it's our responsibility. And certainly there are people who are unable to care for their own needs, and that's where the body of Christ comes in and cares for those needs. But other than that, we all have that responsibility. Now, the next question then is, so what are those necessities? That's the big question. What are the necessities that I have? 
And I think Jesus addresses this over in the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And let's look at what he says here. Beginning at verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What are my necessities? The necessities, according to Jesus here, food, shelter, drink. I mean, clothing, food, shelter, clothing. And, and, and what, does, what does Jesus say? Your father knows you need them, and he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide. And so you and I have a responsibility in, in earning so that we can take care of the necessities of life. But in our culture, and this is certainly uh, our culture to be sure, this desire for more, the necessities gets, that list of necessities is broadened so much. And we have to guard against that. We have to be careful there. And by the way, just so that you understand this, I'm not preaching at you. I'm just simply talking to myself and letting you guys listen. Because I have this same issue. I've got this same problem. I'll go ahead and confess. I wasn't going to say this. I'm going to say this. So this week, this coming week, I'm going to go I'm going to go pick up the truck I'm buying. So you guys are going, okay, preacher's a hypocrite, let's go. <laughs> We're out of here. I'm just, I deal with that too. Um, actually, you know, we were a two-car family, and um, uh, the Aztec that we have, which is, I don't know, 14 years old, something like that, and it's, it's, it moves, um, but it's, it's on its last legs. And so Bev and I were going to look for another vehicle. And I said, okay, honey, now you'll get to drive the van. And, and I'd, I'd like a truck. And she said, she said oh, you know, Rick, the trucks are nice now, but I just don't want to climb up in them. And I said, okay. And just, and just left it, okay, won't get a truck. And so we were looking at something else that was lower and... Uh, and certainly cheaper, um, but uh, anyway, God called her home, and I've got this van, and, and we got the van because Bev wanted us to have a van for the grandkids. I said, honey, you know, we got more grandkids, and we got seats in a van. They don't make cars big enough, and so 
I don't know why we're getting a van. So anyway, it all works out to where I can do some trading around, and, and I'm going to get a truck, you know. And I, I don't know why I'm confessing that to you except to say that I'm in the prison of want like you are. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not preaching at you going, you guys do not have this together. I'm saying, wow, this is my struggle, one of them. And uh, if you struggle, then we're struggling in this together and trying to figure out, okay, how can we get out of this? And even though, (laughs) I'm still going to go get that truck. Um, (laughs) Okay. I'll press on. (laughs) Please, God, get me out of this. (laughs) The next thing is this. The desire for riches is a trap of Satan. The desire for riches is a trap of Satan. I want you to look at Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells this interesting parable beginning in verse 15. And, and look, let's just listen to this parable and see if this isn't like you, if this isn't like me. Then he, he said to them, Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. So while we know that having money isn't wrong, what is wrong is storing everything up for ourselves and not being generous towards God and His kingdom, which is really what we're driving at. Because what I'm simply asking you to do, and I'll reiterate this before we go, what I'm simply asking you to consider this year, nothing big and drastic, I'm simply asking you as you Make your Christmas list for all the people on your list, and you start buying the things that you buy, and then you go, okay, wait, I have two gifts for this person, but I have three for them, so i got to get another one for this person so that they won't think I favor the other one. And, and so what you find yourself doing is running to Walmart or running to Kmart or to a Target or jumping online and looking for something that you know the person doesn't need. You just don't want them to feel like they got less than the other person. And so you're just tossing money everywhere. And then come the first of the year, you get your bill and you go, oh, holy cow, I wish I hadn't have done all that. So let's be reasonable before we do it. Let's be reasonable before we do it. And what we're asking is rather than going through all of that worry and headache and hassle, why don't you simply buy one less gift, one, and with the money that you save by buying one less gift, then take that money and use it to advance the kingdom of God. And there's all kinds of ways you can do that. You can grab an angel out here. You can, and, 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 and when you do, and you give those gifts in the, in the name of the uh, parent who's incarcerated, also coming along with that is the gospel, which is wonderful. You can get online, and you can go to World Help, who, who uh, oversees the work in Uganda that we're supporting there. And you can find all kinds of opportunities to give. You can buy goats, chickens, donkeys, 
You can buy plants that can, would be sent to, to different communities in developing nations, teaching people and providing people food or the possibility of, of a source of income. You can do that. Just go to World Help and look instead of going to Walmart and looking. You can, you can do things to invest and advance the kingdom of God. Now, this is where I, I want to wrap things up and then we'll, we'll do the takeaway. Who or what do you love most? This is the question. This is really the bottom line question when it comes to our, 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 our money, God's money. He entrusts it to us. Who or what do you trust most? And this is really a probing question, isn't it? Do you trust your possessions more than you trust the one who gave you the ability to receive those possessions and earn those possessions? Do you trust the money that you can hold in your hand Or do you trust the one who holds you in the palm of his hand? Do you trust the things that money can buy? Your security, your stuff? Or do you trust the one who bought you with his own blood? Who do you love the most? Or what do you love the most? And what I simply desire for the people that God places in my path is this. That they would understand that no one loves them greater than the King of Kings who gave His very Son to pay a price that we couldn't pay in order to appease God, but who gave himself fully on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven, empowered by his spirit, and live for him. Who or what do you trust most? And so I'm asking you to do what I'm doing, and that's just doing a self-evaluation with that one question. Do I love money more than God? Do I love my children more than God? Do I love my spouse more than God? Do I allow my stuff more than God? Do I love the Buckeyes more than God? Do I love the Bengals more than God? You're a loser if you do. Um, That's, I mean, there's definitely no hope there. Um, Who do you love more than God? Ask yourself, and if the answer, if you can come up with an answer, then you need to do some repenting, because God doesn't share the throne with anyone. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and mercy to us. I thank you for this time where we could gather together and and just dig into your word for a little bit. 
And yeah, I thank you for the pain of the probing questions. But Lord, I pray that we will never be settled with just being culturally comfortable. I pray, Father, that that our heart's desire would be that you would have preeminence in our lives, that you would have first place, that you would be our foundation, that you would be the who that we love the most. And then, Lord, as a result of, of loving you, as a result of placing our trust in you, then with those things that you have blessed us with, with our finances, with our stuff, those things, I pray that they would be used to advance your kingdom. Because, Lord, we know that when it's all said and done, it's only you who will stand firm. Your word will remain forever. And those who have placed their faith and trust in you, by your grace, will be joined with you. And so, God, may our heart's desire be for you. And I give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.